Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome back to Boston Cage Podcast. On today's show, we have the founder and CEO of Cash Geeks, Dominic Felix, better known as Domaflex. What's going on, Dom? What's up, man? How are you today, man? I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm trying to think how long have we known each other, man. It's been since like middle school, so like 92, 93. You know, it's funny about you saying that. Yeah, it's been about that time. And, and I wear this little kind of wristlet and has coordinates on it. And those are the coordinates of where Marisol and I met, which is shallow. It's crazy, man. It's classic. Middle classic. school. Middle school, man. So we're creeping up on a 30-year relationship, man. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, definitely. Yeah, so so give our viewers a little bit of it, man. Who are you? Dude, I'm just... Uh... I'm just a developer, man. I'm just a, um, I'm just a, a persistent guy, mm-hmm. you know. I'm, uh, yeah. In short, I'm a, I'm a real estate wholesaler. Okay. I've built a real estate wholesale team. We're, we're up to about sixteen. We do a good number of real estate deals each and every month. Uh, probably biggest in our market by far. And um, you know, real estate investor, entrepreneur, um, and I'm just a guy who knows how to figure stuff out. Got you. You know, gotcha. um, pr- problems are brought to me every day, each and every day. Um, and, you know, it's it's very tough for people to see ways around the issues. And I just have a knack for just like pulling things together and figuring stuff out. And I think that's a, it's a blessing. I think that's what's helped me become a successful entrepreneur. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, this is not your first... It's not your first rodeo, right? I mean, you had another business before this one that you kind of grew and you, you sold or how did that one turn out? I grew it. Yeah, I grew it and I sold it. So, yeah, and there's a lot that goes along with that. But yeah, man, I mean, so basically I'm I'm a lawn maintenance call center rep, basically. Mm-hmm. I, I've worked in call centers for for seven years. I've always done extremely well in any job that I had. Um, you know, my first call center job, I was a, a collections representative, right? And I remember my first day starting as a collections rep. Um, um, I'm nervous, right? I get on the team. Um, everyone's like, you know, listen, you know, take it easy. Um, you're going to get on the phones. You're not going to, to bonus your first month. You're not going to bonus your second month, you know, and you might bonus a month here and there, but you're going to have problems getting in contact with people and dealing with people and getting them to to trust you or pay you or whatever the case may be. Um, they're really downplaying it, downplaying it. And the morale was, was pretty horrible. Um, so, you know, I just, I got on the phones first month I bonused. And then from the second month for the next three years straight in collections, uh, I was always number one on the floor for the, for those three full years. Right. Yeah. Then I transitioned to another, um, position called retention. Mm-hmm. It's a retention sales position. People want to cancel their service with the company uh, because they had a bad experience. None of the calls were good. They were all horrible. Um, and then if you convince them to stay, then you get paid a high commission. Uh, and that enabled me to double my salary. I was making like 70 grand a year. I was making about 35 grand a year in collection, then about 70 grand a year in retention um, You know, for, for virtually almost the same thing to me. Um, but it was a, 
it was pretty challenging. It's pretty challenging. I was able to save on average about 65% of the people that came my way. And I think the requirement was to save about 45%. Nice. Uh, and most people couldn't make the 45%. So in that position, I was about top three. I was the top three on the floor for years for giving the least uh, and making the most per transaction. Hmm. So I was always like giving these high offer value um, rewards, which didn't give very much to the seller, but paid me out a lot. Uh, so that really just told me like in sales, it's really just, just the people and how you talk to people, how you deal with them. It really very little of it, little of it is, is the product or, or what you're trying to achieve by going through sales. They, they need to trust you, you know, they need to believe in you. They need to believe in the process. So it sounds like you got a little bit of business ingenuity and obviously some Brooklyn hustle in that, right? I got the Brooklyn hustle, man. You know, you, we don't have any choice in Brooklyn, you know, I mean, we literally. have to go through it. So, so basically I felt like at that point I was making 70 grand a year and, um, you know, I was thinking about going into management. I'm like, shit, if I'm going to go into management, they make mid to upper thirties and take a huge pay cut. So I kind of felt like I, I hit a brick wall, you know, hmm. I'm going to have to take a huge step down to, to go into management and work my way up in the company and eventually get back to where I am and then past where I am. And I kind of wanted to do something different that either kept my income the same or helped me to make more or give me the opportunity to progress. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually started a lawn maintenance company. Um, and in the lawn maintenance company, actually, I was able to get enough customers inside of like four to six weeks that completely replaced my income nice. in the call center. And then I started doing mortgage field services work. Mm -hmm. I started maintaining foreclosed homes for banks. Um, and the cool thing about that was, you know, in Jacksonville, Florida here, the typical grass cut, you'd have to pay like, 30 or 35 dollars to the grass cut crew to come and gut, cut the grass for your house and with the the bank owned properties it was more like 80 to 130 dollars per cut so it was like triple or quadruple the income for doing those bank owned properties mm -hmm. so once i figured that out man i transitioned everything over to, to all the the bank owned work um and then you know it was it was tough to get those contracts but once i got those contracts then i started subcontracting that work got you you know before you know it, man, uh, within within about four or five years, dude, I'm in I'm in eight states. Um, I'm considered a regional player. The the banks or the national companies um, that I worked for, uh, they were they were national, and I was more of a regional player on my way to becoming national. Nice. So what I didn't realize at the time, because I wasn't kind of this big kind of over market overseer. I'm not playing the market or trying to figure out where the opportunities are. I kind of just fell into it, mm -hmm. but I fell into it at the right time because it was 2007 when we had the big market crash mm -hmm. and you know real estate was upside down. There was tons of foreclosures and I was maintaining foreclosed homes for banks. So there was just, just a crap load of inventory um, and I was able to capitalize on that. One of the things I wasn't really prepared for because I, I grew it aggressively over the course of four or five years like I said, in eight states, I had about 26 employees at my at my highest. Uh, we were racking in about five million a year, um, but I wasn't prepared for the the economic recovery. Mm -hmm. I mean, it recovered aggressively, and a lot of the inventory started going down. And once I started seeing that decline, I decided to figure something else out, uh, which was real estate. So let's pull it let's pull it back but back a minute. So I mean, 
coming from from Brooklyn, you end up in Florida. I mean, how did you even get into that that real estate game? I mean, obviously you're more on the real estate wholesaling side, but before that you were more on the lawn care. Both of them are related to real estate. Like what made you decide to jump into that space? So for some reason, I, I've always been attracted to real estate. I feel like anyone that I knew that had any kind of money mm-hmm. always owned like multiple houses. Growing up in Brooklyn, the big money people that I kind of maybe knew directly, like someone's dad or someone's uncle or a friend of a friend, oh, this guy owns this house. He owns the other one down the block or another one in another neighborhood. And I always like kind of respected that. And I always saw that anyone who had money just had multiple assets. They had lots of, and maybe that's just kind of what caught my eye, but that's kind of what I saw. So um, when I started making a good amount of money um, with my mortgage field services company, I started acquiring real estate. Mm. Um, And when I started acquiring real estate, um, you know, you start keeping your eyes open a little bit more and, you know, certain things start coming in your direction. And I started purchasing real estate a little bit cheaper from wholesalers. Mm. Right. Yeah. And I, I started to wonder, like, the, how are these properties this much cheaper than properties on the market? And they're really similar assets. Like, they're very similar. How are they getting them cheaper? And I, and I figured out they're, they're really marketing to sellers directly. Mm-hmm. You know, sellers are not going to them like they would go to a real estate agent to list their properties on the market or to sell them in this kind of way that, that attracts people to get the highest bidder. They really they market to the sellers directly. Um, and there's tons of tactics, and that's a that's a huge story. That's an episode in itself. Yeah. But they market to the sellers directly, and then it's really this entirely different way to do sales. It's more like just a one-on-one, just me and Chanel haggling, you know, on a number. And then what that does is, you know, there's not five people in the mix, and they're all bidding the price up, and the property doesn't go to the highest bidder at that point. It's now similar to when we were younger, and we were going to like the corner Christmas tree sales guy and my dad would haggle with that guy to give him 19 bucks instead of 22 bucks. It it really feels very similar to that way of sales rather than the modern, you know, online submissions or realtors getting multiple parties um, to bid the prices up and stuff like that. So, you know, it's kind of always fascinated me. So at the right time, you know, you know, I'm looking to get into another industry and I met, you know, a really bright wholesaler. And I had experience building and scaling a business. Um, and when I decided to partner with the guy, and then we decided to, I start, decided at that point, you know, time is right to transition out of my old company, transition into this new company. And then I sold uh, the old company to my operations manager. Got you. Got you. So, I mean, with that kind of business structure, I mean, do you still have some equity share in that business? A uh, very small piece, okay. but I do, yes. Cool. I mean, yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, that, that's a small way of doing it. You still get a piece of the pie, even though you're not even working it anymore. That, that's definitely good business. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was it was on a very aggressive decline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have the whole multiple streams of income mindset at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I started when I was 26, um, never had a mentor, never really read books, wasn't around big money minded people to ever kind of get the exposure that people like us should get Mm -hmm. to kind of take your money, multiple streams of income, start something different, 
try to do it as you know as early or as at the right time as possible. I just never had that exposure, which I do have now, though. So yeah, yeah I realize that. I mean, I think well, you you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, 10x, right? I mean, that, that's one of the the people that I think you kind of dove into and kind of helped you grow to to where you are currently. Absolutely, absolutely. Gotcha, gotcha. So, I mean, your business, you're talking about you have a business partner. I mean, how is that? You, most of the people, you know, they want to run the business on their own. They want to have employees. How is it having a business partner? Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's cool, man. It's cool because um, as long as you can get yourself into the mindset of letting go of the vine on, on certain things. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have these responsibilities and um, you're able to give it to someone that you trust that can do it as well as you can do it or as close to as well as you can do it um, so that you can go on and, and maximize in other areas in the company. It's almost like, you know, you can do more with more people than you can do by yourself. Definitely. definitely. Um, yeah. So he had the wholesale knowledge, mm-hmm. which did bring a tremendous amount to the table. And I had the scaling experience mm-hmm. that brought a lot to the table from my part. Um, and now, I mean, I think we've been in business for uh, right around three years. And, um, you know, we just hired our 16th team member, um, knocked out about 21 real estate deals last month. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're having some some really aggressive growth and a really good experience with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't be happier. I, I could admit, I don't think people could really understand. I mean, you're talking about double digits, possibly growing into triple digits on a monthly basis. I mean, that, that, that's, that's your moving product, man. You know, I mean, how, how did you even find the, the rhythm to get into that? Because I mean, you're not doing it one month here. You're doing it pretty consistently. Yeah, yeah. thankfully, we're doing it consistently. Um, anytime I, I've ever, anytime, like in, in any part of my business experience, I've always wanted to learn about something that can add to my company. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to systemize it and then delegate it Mm -hmm. in every sense of the word. So even stuff that I'm doing right now, like for me, it bothers me to do any, you know, the same task over and over. It just bothers me. Once I find myself getting into that rhythm, I just document the process mm-hmm. and I hand it off to somebody. Um, it's very difficult for someone to be able to swallow that. Not everyone's able to do it. That's why, you know, you might have some really strong real estate investors or, or real estate agents. And I mean, that's cool. And there's nothing against that. Um, but they, they just don't want to trust someone else to do the job because they know that that person's not going to do it as well as they can. Mm-hmm. And I think what um, people that do want to scale should keep in mind that is that you know, they're probably not going to do it as good as you can. Um, but if you can get, you know, someone to do 70, 80% of as well as you can do, you get two, three of those people, you're a hundred percent. And now you have another, I don't know, 210% on top. of your stuff on top of that. This is not- and, uh, I've always wanted to just put steps to whatever it is I'm doing, processes, delegate, um, and the one thing that I started to do in my other company that I didn't really get to master was really put together leadership to then lead mm-hmm. those roles that you're building. Um, and I'm trying to do that earlier this time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm really big on, on systems as well. And so what kind of systems do you guys have in place? Are you more operational systems? Are you more day-to-day? Or you have a combination of both? We have a combination of both, yeah. So, I mean, if we're call- talking about specific programs type systems, yeah. then yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got CRMs, 
um, to hold it. And if anyone doesn't know what a CRM is, it's basically like a database to hold all of your data. Mm -hmm. And in the CRM, there's different applications that we use for our leads, um, for our acquisitions, for our properties, um, and, and, and any kind of data that you can think of. And the cool thing about the CRM that we use, uh, which is called Podio, by the way, is that it's it's totally customizable, right? Nice. So we can, with the right um, knowledge and 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 um, the right kind of overview on how you want the apps to talk to each other, you can build in flows as to where if you click a button, it can calculate this number or it can drive information to another application, um, which is just, it's, it's just mind blowing to me, man. So I, did, I didn't have that in my other company as well. So I think that's just part of what's going to help us get to, you know, the next level a lot quicker. Cool. So, um, so you're saying the next level, I mean, obviously you're talking your last business, you know, you peaked at about 5 million. What's the next level for you in your current status? You know, um, I know that, you know, at one point in time when I first started seeing the decline on my first business or I started sensing or feeling it coming or feeling myself plateauing, um, I started talking to um, some higher level people that I knew about selling the company. They told me that, you know, you're, you're at 5 million. Once you get to 5 million, it's going to be very tricky to get past that 5 million mark. There's something about that $5 million mark. Um, and that's just kind of what they told me. I don't remember all the particulars. Um, but I never had the experience to get past the $5 million mark. So I, for me, the immediate next level would be $10 million. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, but the, the, the real ultimate next level um, would really more so be having um, a company that's, you know, that can operate exclusively without me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, from from leadership and CEO and, and all of that stuff. Gotcha. So, I mean, you definitely got the right building blocks and moving in the right direction. So, the next question I have for you, do you always hear about the 20 years it takes someone to be successful and it always seems to be perceived as an overnight success story? How long did it take you to get to where you are currently? So, dude, so, so my first business was started in May of 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're in 2020, so it's, so it's 13 years, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I'm still, I'm still hungry. I still feel like yeah. I haven't started, you know? So, I mean, um, in my first experience, you know, they, they say it takes about five years for, for a small business to become profitable. Luckily I've become profitable, um, a lot, a lot quicker than that. But I mean, it, it took me about five years to get to the level we're talking about. So I think I, I, I think I advanced pretty quickly there. Mm-hmm. You know, if things kept going in the direction that I was able to bring it in with the market that we we're in, I mean, who knows how, how much I, I could have taken advantage of, of that experience. Yeah. So it sounds like you fell into your niche early on. A lot of people, they kind of dibble and dabble and it may take five, 10 years touching different business opportunities to even find their core niche. And you found yours kind of right out the box, it seems like. And then you just grew it into what you're doing right now. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I kind of just wanted to replace my income. And I realized once I started building a simple loan company, you know, you just start realizing what you're truly capable of, mm-hmm. you know, and you just got to keep your eyes open and try new things and continue to try to build. I remember one of my first feelings of, of accomplishment. It's a very small thing, but it really influenced me a lot. And I tell a lot of people about it now, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing lawns and I just started getting into the bank owned properties and I'm still out there in the field. And I had one, two, three. I had three employees. It was myself and three employees in a pickup truck with a trailer and lawn equipment and other kind of handyman equipment. 
And, you know, I was the boss, so I was the driver, you know, all the time or whatever the case may be. And then one day I just decided to sit in the back seat and to let one of my other guys drive so I can just kind of um, see if I can transition to make them take over the crew. Like if I got sick one day or hurt one day, they can still go out and do work orders and stuff like that. Uh, so I sat in the back seat and my hardest worker was uh, this Hispanic dude from Texas. His name was Ali Papa. Uh, he called himself Ali, Ali Papa because his son's name is Ali and he was the Papa. Gotcha. Um, so I sat in the back. Ali Papa gets in the front driver's seat and he goes, looked at me weird. He's like, boss, what's going on? I said, oh, I'm going to let you drive today. I'm going to sit in the back and just you know, kind of watch you guys, whatever. He goes, hmm, you will do great things. So, <laughs> so that kind of hit me, man. It was like, you know, it was kind of like told, my, told me that it was the right move. Mm. And in most other small businesses or lawn maintenance businesses, pool maintenance businesses, handyman businesses, the boss is in the driver's seat mm -hmm. um, driving and running the crew and he just needs to be in charge every day, you know? Um, and it just takes a bigger person to kind of hand that over mm -hmm. and put trust into the system that you're putting together. Oh, yeah, man. You got to delegate, man. I definitely concur with that. So what's one thing you would have did differently to get you where you are a lot faster if you could do it all over again? Um, it might sound harsh, man, mm -hmm. but I mean, um, I, would, I probably would have taken a lot less bullshit. Mm -hmm. I probably um, would have put more of the right people in the right seats. You know, I, I tend to... Um, I tend to want to give people chances more so than they deserve. Mm -hmm. I probably would have paid more attention to, yeah, getting the right people in the right seats. Um, instead of trusting, you know, you know, I'm a big advocate of friends and family and I'll do a lot for friends and family. Uh, but it really, really, really have to be careful with, um, you know, onboarding the right people or certain people in certain positions that they're really not capable of doing. So it'd be more so of um, truly interviewing and assigning people to certain roles that should be in that role rather than someone that's a friend or someone that you trust um, with your kids, but they're really not capable of, you know, doing what it is that you're assigning them to do. So I think if I would have paid a lot closer attention to that early on, I think I, I could have probably done even more in a short period of time than I've done. Wow. So... Do you have any entrepreneurs in your family? I mean, I know you're saying you didn't have any mentors, but, you know, in the if you think back, you know, back when we was in middle school, back in high school in Brooklyn, were there anybody that was had like an extreme hustle that kind of inspired you to kind of take things out on your own? So, so yes, I did have a, a, an inspiration and it's a weird inspiration. It's probably, um, it, I feel like it kind of indirectly has an impact on me, um, even though this person wasn't really in my life. Mm. So... None of my family members were entrepreneurs. None, none of my friends were really entrepreneurs. It was kind of like I said, it's like someone's uncle or someone's, you know, father that you know of, but you really don't know directly that that's successful. That's kind of impressive. But my real father, my biological father that died when I, he died when I was one years old, hmm. he was an entrepreneur, right? So there's always those stories too, right? He was, um, he started a printing company out of the house that I grew up in, in Brooklyn. Nice. He started out of, out of a room in the basement, right? And then um, at one point in time, he started growing, getting so big that he moved that business into a building in Manhattan, kind nice. of a one room little office. Um, push came to shove over the course of a couple of years. He's taken over the entire floor of that building. Mm -hmm. um, and then he was aspiring to go to, you know, to acquire a second and third floor in that building because he was growing so aggressively. He's one of the first building uh, or printing companies 
in New York to start printing an ink for companies like Time and Playboy and things like that. So, um, you know, knowing those stories always had an influence on me. The name of his company was uh, Regency Litho. And Litho is short for lithography, yeah. which is for printing. Yeah. And the name of this um, real estate company or the parent name of it is real, really Regency Litho Assets. Hmm. And I kind of appointed that as the name in honor of what he started to do. And it kind of holds me accountable to take the baton from him mm -hmm. and finish the job that he started um, when he was in business for himself. Yeah. Um, and the reason it's Cash Geeks now mm -hmm. is, uh, which is just a, a DBA, mm -hmm. by the way, is because it's a little bit better of a branding name for yeah. um, for pay-per-click and SEO and just all easier for people to remember, a little bit more catchy mm -hmm. and things like that. People don't know. Everyone's like, what's litho? Or they don't remember Regency litho assets. Very difficult, you know, for the common person to just remember in passing. You yeah, know? that's a good sense of branding, man. I mean, a lot of times with the clients that, that I work with, I have to kind of clarify that the branding strategy needs to go hand in hand with like their marketing strategy and then their overall global business strategy. And they have to understand that, right? So, I mean, it's good that you picked up on that right away. I mean, like the other name was just the definition of it. People wouldn't understand. And it's just too many syllables as well. But, you know, the dedication to your dad, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a solid, solid, kickback and that was my next question was going to ask you I'm like so do you think that was a factor to your success but i mean obviously you already answered that by saying you named your company after your dad and, and continuing his legacy which is it's, it's all about family so i definitely could commend that yeah yeah thank you man thank you yeah um so i'm sorry go ahead no, so, so how do you juggle your your work life with your family life it's tough man you know like i, I aspire i aspire to do to do big things right um, there's a lot of real estate investment companies here in Jacksonville, Florida that do um, similar things that I do. Um, they, they do things that are very closely related to what I do here in Jacksonville. Um, they have a tough time growing. They have a tough time scaling just because there's no blueprint of how it's been done before. Mm. Um, and for some reason, like I said, I just have a knack for figuring shit out, right? So it seems like we're getting some really great tread. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like I have kind of a, a moral responsibility to do what it is that I'm capable of doing because other people can't do it. And if I'm not doing that, I'm really not living up to my potential. Mm -hmm. um, so it really takes a sacrifice. It takes a big sacrifice and it does affect family. So what I try my best to do is kind of a family business integration. Um, so I'm not neglecting my family and my kids. You know, I, I drop them off at school in the morning. You know, sometimes they have to come into the office or if I have to chip in to help out with a responsibility that someone else has in the office, um, like an after hours appointment or weekend appointment, you know, I might do that on the way of the family going to do something. I'm like, you know, we can do this, but I have to drive, drop by this property. Uh, just like now, like we, we were flooded with appointments today mm -hmm. and I was a little late getting this podcast. Um, and one of the things I tried to squeeze in was, was a contract because my field guy had an appointment. And then my HR manager was actually backing up one of his appointments already. So we do have backups in place, but there was really no backup to the backup other than sometimes the boss just got to run out and cover shit. You know? So um, I try my best to just work out a work life, family life integration. Um, and then I, I do, I am starting to build in non-negotiables as well. Um, like, you know, Sundays with the family or not getting to the office too early during the week so I can work with Marisol, which is my wife, 
to get the kids ready in the morning, spend some time with them, drop them off at school and things like that. Gotcha. Yeah. It's funny that you brought up Marisol. I mean, she went to middle school with us. So it's kind of like you guys have been together for a long time. And it's, I mean, when you're looking for a companion, someone that you can trust is not only someone that you can know, right, but somebody that you've known for a long period of time. So you guys have been through what, 30, almost 30 years of a relationship. It's kind of crazy, man. It's, it's great to have that in your, in your back pocket. You know, Marisol and I known each other uh, since junior high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the funny thing is that we, we only dated for a couple of months in junior high school. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was that summer came and her mother grounded her and I had no way really to communicate with her for the entire summer. Uh, and the first day of high school, and she's going to kill me for saying this, but the first day of high school came in and I actually dumped her. Um, and, you know, and then I had the, we had our high school experiences. Um, and then high school ended when we were 18, moved out to Florida, came back to New York to visit and we kind of met back up when we were 19. Um, then we started dating and then the rest is history. You know, we've dated, we got married, I think it was 25 or 26 years old. Um, we've been together and now we're both 41. So, um, yeah, definitely knew her a long time. Definitely can trust her with, mm-hmm. with everything in my life. And, um, she's actually working with me. Um, she's been a stay at home mom for a while cause we have a, we have three kids, but you know, she's at the point she just wanted to get back in the, in the, in the work, you know, the work field. And she wanted to be around adults a little bit more. She wanted to kind of build on her career. So. So yeah, she's with me in the office now. So nice, it's nice. awesome. Yeah, definitely. So, what's your your morning habits, your morning routines? The f- the funny thing is, man, like like I said, it's uh, it's weird with me. It's weird, right? Mm-hmm. Because people they can build their their morning their specific morning routines. I don't have there there are things that I do every morning, but I don't really like just recurring things all the time. Mm. Um, I'm kind of more of a weird kind of visionary in the way that once things become just too reoccurring, um, I just kind of lose interest a little bit. Some of the things that I don't lose interest in is just, um, listening to audiobooks in the morning, mm-hmm. um, reading the wall street journal, um, researching my, in my industry. Um, uh, I try to be active on social media. I was a lot more active probably a year, year and a half ago. Um, I'm not as active. I think I'm still a little bit consistent. Mm-hmm. I just want to always stay relative to the community and the people around me. Um, but I, I try to I try to do some effective posting in the morning. Um, those are kind of the things that I do before going into work. Um, I spend some time with the kids, um, help Marisol get them ready in the morning, drop them off at school, then we go off to the office. Nice, nice. So what do you see yourself in 20 years from now? So 20 years from now, going to be 61 years old. Um, I'm pretty certain that that Cash Geeks is um, it's going to have several squadrons. We have we have um, a, an idea of how we're going to build the company out. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to build them out in squadrons, and squadrons are groups of people that can handle transactions from A to Z in real estate um, for for certain markets or for, for a certain sized market or a certain group of markets that add up to a combined population, right? Um, so I feel like there's going to be, at that point, you know, 20 years from now, all of the, the right leadership is going to be in place for it to continue to grow without me. Um, there's, I, would, I would bet there's probably going to be 10 squadrons at that point. Nice. Um, a squadron right now is looking at about 12 to 14 people 
Um, and it's going to include all of the positions from, from marketing, lead generation, project management, acquisitions, dispositions, and transaction coordination, nice. um, which is wrapping up the deal with the title company at the end of it all. Hmm. Solid. So that'll be a group of people that can effectively do probably 15 to 20 transactions a month that can bring in close to a quarter million dollars a month. Um, so I, I can't see having less than 10 of those in, in the next 20 years. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a solid strategy, solid plan. I mean, and it, it seems like you're, you're hundred percent focused on scaling, which is, you know, obviously once you get to a certain point, that's, it's always up from there, right? You want to kind of grow and expand and grow and expand and step and repeat, step and repeat. So you definitely got the right, right state of mind, man. Um, so what, what tools do you use that you wouldn't be able to do your business without outside of the CRMs that you talked about earlier? Google drive, man. Google drive is, is huge. Um, I mean, one of the one of the things that we use a ton is is Google Sheets, mm-hmm. and it just allows a lot of people to be a part of the same document. Um, it's very close to as capable as as Excel is. Mm-hmm. I don't know how um, how uh, you know how much you use it or not, but I mean, um, Excel obviously it's it's more advanced. It's got a lot of functionalities that Google, Google mm-hmm. Sheets doesn't have. But as far as um, communication between um, all of the other team members and, and sharing documents and letting them see formulas move live before us and our payout trackers. And, you know, and a, a lot has to do with Google drive and Google sheets, man. I think if, if they went down tomorrow, we'd oh, kind of be screwed. I, I told you what you meant. I, I've interviewed like, you know, probably about two dozen people on this show and literally about half of them, Google sheets, including myself, right? Google drive, Google sheets, Google docs, <laughs> And the fact that you're allowed to share it to multiple people and you can actually control the ownership, whether it's just an editor or an admin, and you could be anywhere in the world and have access to all your documents, it, it's a game changer. Right. It's a game changer. Oh, it's changer. amazing, man. And then, um, you know, the, the more we're growing inside of this company, I used to not think about this before in my old company, but the more we grow, um, the more I start to get nervous about these systems that we use, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Podios and, and the skip tracing companies that we rely on in the Google Drive, right? Like if any one of those companies go down, it can truly hurt us. So now it starts to put me in the realm of of creating my all-encompassing own um, primary program mm-hmm. where, as to where we don't have to rely on these other companies because, you know, whether they get attacked, cyber attacked, or, or even just want to go out of business one day mm-hmm. or whatever or go bankrupt, I mean, we'd lose a major functionality of, of our company. So we're starting to think about that as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what final words of wisdom do you have for up and coming entrepreneurs that possibly want to follow in your footsteps? So um, one of the things that that hit me real hard here um, within the last um, probably about two years ago that I never really knew was this. Basically, when I started growing my first company and I started getting to where we um, we're very close to our biggest. You know, I would go to a lot of seminars and a lot of conferences. I'd wind up being a part of these big tables or these big dinners with my clients and my competition, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of my competitors, um, you know, they, they seem brighter than me, you know? They seemed more well-rounded, accomplished, college degrees, bachelor degrees, master degrees. You know, it's really, really um, intimidating, and I couldn't understand how I was at those tables at that time, right? It, uh, it was hitting me like, how am I basically two or three times bigger than this guy next to me? Mm-hmm. I was probably 
Um, under the national companies, I was probably, if not the biggest, one of the top three biggest regional companies in the nation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I really couldn't understand how I was there um, and bigger than those dudes. It's just, it always bothered me for a while. But once I started, um, you know, two or three years ago, personal development and reading books and really exposing myself to um, a lot of the bigger players. Um, you probably read this book um, by Napoleon Hill. Oh, yes. Um, it's not good to great. Um, what's the name of it? Do you remember what it is? What you do? Think, and, think and Grow Rich? Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. I read Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. And Think and Grow Rich um, told me what it is that I had mm -hmm. um, that I didn't know that I had. And it was persistence. Mm -hmm. And just merely showing up every day and working harder than other people, mm -hmm. you know, hard work will out perform, what is it, skill, when skill doesn't work hard or yep. talent doesn't work hard. Um, I learned that from that book. Hmm. And that right there just made me feel like I can do anything and that I can just blow out anyone no matter what it is that they have over me. I mean, that's a great segue. I mean, the, the mastermind principle is, is pretty much what you're talking about is one of the elements of the mastermind principle. So it, it's once you, you find Think and Grow Rich and you kind of understand those theories and you start to actually use them on a day-to-day -day basis, it changes everything. It, it's, and the thing, yeah. it, was, it was written back in like 1932. I know, man. <laughs> it is still practical and it's 2020. So it's definitely More a mind blower. It's crazy, man. Uh, yeah, so I, I got a bonus question for you, right? So if you could spend 24 hours with anybody dead or alive, who would it be and why? I think Elon Musk. Yeah. So I, I'd, I'd spend, I'd spend the time with Elon Musk just because, uh, he has persistence mm. as well. I mean, he's a very hard worker. He puts in a lot of hours. Um, sometimes he's extremely proud of mm. what he's doing. Um, and he wouldn't trade it for anything. And at other times you'll listen to interviews and it'll feel like he kind of dreads it and wishes he would have went in another, in another direction. And I would want to pick his brain about that to see where he's coming from um, to make sure I don't make the same potential mistakes because you also have life, right? You also have family. You also have things that you want to enjoy. Yep. Um, and you don't want to, you know, one day regret everything that you've done for the past 30, 40 years. Mm. So I think if I had that opportunity to spend time with him and pick his brain about that specifically, I think I'd learn a tremendous amount. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a hell of a choice, definitely. Um, and, I, and I'm surprised I gave that answer, not even ready for that question. So, I mean, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of this podcast, man. I like to keep it kind of unscripted and kind of mix up the questions. Love it. Let's just run with it, man. So uh, another significant question is, you know, what's your most significant achievement to date? Um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's being an example for people mm -hmm. around me. Um, I think I spent a good amount of time with, um, the people I've always been around. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's shocking to them, um, what I'm able to do. Um, and I think to be that example for those people and give people hope, uh, I feel really good about it. Wow. Solid, solid. So where can people find you, man? I mean, what, what's your handle on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn? Yeah, I think, um, so people can find me on Instagram mm -hmm. at real Dom Felix. Uh, you can search Dominic Felix on Facebook. Mm. And if anyone's interested in, in wholesaling or learning more about wholesaling, mm. um, they can join my Facebook group. It's called The People's Wholesalers. Mm. And we do a show every uh, Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. uh, Eastern time. And we, we go for about an hour and we're always talking about some aspect of, of wholesaling or real estate or business building on that show. Gotcha. And you also got uh, cashgeekpro.com as well, right? Cashgeekspro.com um, is a website that displays the inventory of our properties. 
So if anyone wants to see kind of a little bit more of the inside of our product, they can go to that to that website. Got it. Got it. Cool, man. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on the show. And um, it was definitely a pleasure having you. And usually what I do at the end of the show, I mean, it's kind of flip the mic. You know, you have any questions for me? Dude, man, I mean, I probably got a trillion, a trillion questions for you, man. Um, I know that we need to get together real soon. I know we, we talk a lot of shit about it and then we don't really do anything about it. I know you're busy. I know I'm busy. Um, and you're in Atlanta, so I'm probably going to be in Atlanta within the next couple of months. I definitely want to, want to get together. Definitely. Pick your brain a little bit about more about what you do. And I know you're in the, you're in marketing, Mm. obviously, right? Yep. You still have the 360 company and all that stuff. 360. Yep. Still alive and well. Awesome, man. So basically... What can you contribute to me, I guess, within the next 20 seconds um, that can let me know as much as possible about where you're at right now in, inside us, Cerebral 360? So right now, what I'm really big into, I mean, obviously, we have web design, we have marketing, we have all these different strategies, but the, the really and truly in the market sector right now, it's content development, but it's not just mm-hmm. any old content. So, I mean, book development, you're familiar, but you know, I've published a couple books. I've published other people's mm-hmm. books at this point in time. So Cerebral mm-hmm. 360 is becoming more of a publication system, right? So not only publishing oh, books, but we're also publishing courses as well. So that's kind of the next direction that we're going into because web design is okay, but it's always about the results and where can you get the best results and how could you help most people is through education. So I think you've kind of touched in that space as well too. I mean, you kind of have an online presence. You have your, your wholesalers on Tuesdays, but I think you're at that point now, you have enough content that you can pretty much bottle that up into a course and have that be another revenue source for you day in, day out. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. People, people have reached out to us about exactly that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So I think that's, that's like, for me, currently with the whole covert thing, that's really what the market really is right now. If you can create anything that's online to kind of help other people get off their feet or to help them grow or to help them understand something, it's a night and day difference. Dude, that's awesome. Congratulations, man. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Man. But like, again, man, I appreciate you coming out to the show and uh, I'm looking forward to getting this thing up and running and up and, and aired. So awesome, man. Awesome. Cool. All right, dude. Thanks right. a lot for having me on, bro. I appreciate it. Yeah, right. it was a pleasure, Dom. Have a good one. Awesome, man. See All you. All right, later. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.